0: Yeah, what up y'all? This your boy Flame aka Saint Lou. And remember, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. You I see say before you go. Check that extra note. <laughs> Welcome back to Extra Notes Academy. This is season number 2, episode number 3. Yeah. We moving along. Thank you for checking back in. Listen, if you're getting much from this podcast, make sure you let everybody know you are a student extra notes Academy and feel free to explore around check out other episodes maybe there's something you missed maybe there's something you want to go back and review so stay tapped in but anyway you know what I was thinking about something my pastor said this past Sunday during divine service he made a statement he said that we should honor the past we should be realistic about the present and we should be hopeful towards the future In those words, they're still resonating with me because oftentimes when you look back and you reminisce or you go down memory lane and you think about things that you've gone through, you see it all. The good, the bad, the ugly. But ultimately, in a strange way, you end up seeing how God was there for you, how he brought you out and protected you and, you know, really helped you overcome so many things and how he helped you grow. And to develop and using just a bunch of good, bad and ugly, you know, and it's not that we enjoy everything when we think about the past, but we can see certainly how God used things from the past, use certain people and their struggles and their confusion and disintegration within themselves to even form and shape us into who we are now. Right. So in that way, we should honor the past and. Um, And thank God ultimately for just keeping us and bringing us to this point, you know, and that's why I love the second point, which is to be realistic about the present. So that means I should feel the joy that I'm experiencing having survived certain things. I should be happy about that. I should be rejoicing and thanking God for this current moment. Right. And then I should also be okay with things that I didn't learn but I'm here now. I can learn. I can grow. I can mature. Right. So we can also be realistic about where we are and where we are not. We can rightly assess that. And we can say, you know what, let, let's get to work. You know what I'm saying? Let's grow. Let's mature. Let's develop. Let's evolve as God is keeping us and giving us new opportunities as he's given us more life to live. You know what I'm saying? So I love that. And then just being hopeful about the future, because oftentimes the past, if we let it, can rob us of the hope for the future because you live in those fears or you're still in survival mode and you just get stuck and it's hard for you to look to the future with any hope. But in Christ, we don't have to hold on to those things. We can genuinely know that God was with us then. He's keeping us now and he has good things for us in the future. Right. And ultimately, not only here on earth in time, right? But then also we have the hope of the future where there's gonna be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more disappointment, right? It's it's just gonna be nothing but joy, nothing but peace. There's gonna be no more sin, no more temptation, no more death, no more disease. And the Bible says God's gonna wipe the tears away from our eyes. So we know ultimately our future is secured, is safe, And it's everything we could possibly dream of and even more, infinitely more, endlessly more. You know what I mean? So I love that notion of being hopeful about the future because that's what God wants for us is hope in Christ in the future. Amen? Amen. You feel me? That was just on my mind. It's been really resonating with me since it was said. And uh, I just want to keep drawing on that and just letting that uh, encourage me to honor the past, to be realistic about the present, and to be hopeful about the future. So take that, use it for what is worth, you feel me? But anyway, we're gonna move on and get into this next song from the EP Extra Nose. If you have not checked out that EP, make sure you check it out because it's where it all started. But anyway, we're gonna get into the next song from this EP titled, Orto Salutis. Now, what in the world does Orto Salutis mean? <laughs> it's a Latin phrase that means order of salvation. And it's really just getting at How God delivered to us in real time The salvation that Jesus earned on a cross So we're going to talk about that We're going to get into it and discuss it afterwards Just a little bit before we get into the reading So here we go, auto salutis, let's get it I mean God himself gives the gift of faith Thank you God And on that basis we embrace his promise His promise to forgive based on Christ That's why we esteem justification by faith alone So high through Christ alone Luther put that doctrine at the top boy, boy. Told the Ops that it was the chief article Kim and John were both modern, modernistic with it yep. Calvin got the ball but kind of ran a hard Justified by fate, yeah they both believe. Credit to the most high, not the coca Drink Drank wine with the sinners, got to know the things Bragging up them good deeds, hope he noticed these Nope, nope, quorum Deo between you what you doing? You ain't gonna influence God. Uh-uh. So many tried, so many died, none of it coincides. Of it. All the good strides will be denied, only faith justifies. Yeah. yeah, though the nuance here is slight, implications day and night. Make a difference how you fight, what we doing? What we doing? Looking for assurance, Luther's right. So V is on site. synergism take a hike. You know the vibes. Faith is a gift. I've been baptized. I meet him at the altar in the bread and the wine. It's more than a sign. That's why I emphasize. This since Christ died only faith justifies. Boy, faith is a gift. I've been baptized. I meet him at the altar in the bread and the wine. It's more than a sign. That's why I emphasize. This since Christ died only faith justifies. Boy, faith is a gift. He rock a priest collar. He cop a crew neck. Stupid. Both modernistic in the pulpit. One told me fakes were the proof set. Look, the other told me better do a fruit check, out. Both told me righteousness was extra man And that faith was a gift so no man could boast Amen. But Luther wrote the solo so I know he knows it. When the radical reformer's going overdose, oh. One, one, better know this term is Coramundo two, two. two The other term to know is coramdeo. Please, please But you gotta keep them both in their jurisdiction Cause when you mix them then you adding to the case law My sanctification Coramundo is where I'm active My justification coramdeo is where I'm passing But we emphasize mostly the complete my new obedience naturally follows after that's facts Faith is a gift, I've been baptized, I meet him at the altar in the bread and the wine, it's more than a sign, that's why I emphasize that since Christ died, only faith justifies, boy, faith is a gift. I've been baptized, I meet him at the altar in the bread and the wine, it's more than a sign, that's why I emphasize that since Christ died, only faith justifies, boy, faith is a gift. This is Christ died, only faith justifies, boy, faith is a gift, I've been baptized, I meet him at the altar in the bread and the wine, it's more than a sign, that's why I sympathize, this is Christ died, only faith justifies, boy, faith is a gift. Woo! Faith is a gift. I've been baptized. I meet him at the altar, and the bread and the wine is more than the sign. That's why I emphasize that since Christ died, only faith justifies. Boy, faith is a gift. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> faith is a gift. And the beautiful thing I love was how God justifies us by faith alone. And one of the beautiful things I love about Lutheranism that we have preserved from the ancient church the reality that God delivers his gifts through physical means. And that's why we've been talking about baptism and we'll talk about the Lord's Supper next, because the whole point is God wants us to know he is for us and he's given us these physical means, whether that's the um, hearing of the word where we hear God's word from a sermon or a podcast or something like that, or we read God's word from the Bible or maybe on the projector at church, however it's read. And then we have the visible word of God, the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. God has provided these physical means because he knows as humans, that's how we interact with the world. So he's given us physical, tangible things to hold on to, to know that he is for us. And all this is done by faith, the faith that he gives us as a gift. That's why we're talking about justification today. But we have to expand that because there are many from other camps, in particular, the Calvinistic camp, that also affirm that God does save us by faith alone. However, what's been removed is the historical reality that the sacraments belong and support and are in cahoots with justification by faith alone. And we have to put these things back together if we're going to deal with the scriptures in an integral way. That's my argument. So anyway, as we think about the song, Orto Salutis, which is a Latin phrase again for order of salvation, the idea is taken from passages like Romans chapter eight, verse 29 and following. So let's see this order of salvation that Paul communicates here. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In those whom he predestined, he also called. In those whom he called, he also justified. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. So you see here, Paul lists this order of salvation. There's this foreknowledge, which is discussing God's intimate awareness and connection and love for us. Then it goes into predestination where God is predestined many to be his right in this intimate personal way his sons and his daughters to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called so there's this predestination then this calling then after this calling it says and those whom he called he also justified so then there's a justification after the calling and then it says in those whom he justified he also glorified. So there's this glorification, which is the end game, the zenith, right? That is where God is moving all of these things towards is glorification. So it's an important topic. Um, however, the reason I chose to name the song, Ordo Salutis, was not necessarily to unpack the bigness of the topic of the order of salvation, as much as it was to highlight how the Calvinistic contribution to the topic made things a bit murky. And, and what I mean by that is this. So as mentioned, the Bible talks about predestination. So God does predestine to make some his sons and some his daughters. However, the Calvinists add right in that space, a different type of predestination. So not only do they affirm that Jesus predestines some, but then they add this other idea that God also predestines some for hell. They would say to glorify his wrath. And that idea is not in the Bible. There are arguments for it. If you can sort of reshape Romans nine to make it appear to be making that case, but it's actually not making that case at all. In fact, the Bible says the opposite about Hell. Right. It says in Matthew 25, verse 41, it says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the Bible is very clear that hell was not created for people. It was not created for some humans to glorify God's wrath. It says that hell was created for the devil and his angels, very clear. There's no way to spin that text. So, if you take this additional idea that does not show up in the Bible, that says God created some for hell, which is really just a horrid and and terrible idea that God created some people just for hell to glorify His wrath. Um, if you take that and you put it in the the the, the mixture of what it means to be a Christian. In addition to saying that Jesus did not die for everyone. So now you have Christians who want to honor God. And they are also thinking, I don't know for sure if Jesus died for me because he didn't die for everyone. This is, you know, the way Calvinism articulates the gospel. And then you add to that, not only does Jesus not die for everyone, but in fact, he also created some for hell. And you, and you combine those two ideas with this other idea that we're saved by faith alone, you muddy the waters and you strip away the hope that you've given people. In one sense, you've let them know that there's nothing they can do to earn salvation. That excites people where we're happy that God loves us and expresses love in that way to say, I'm not waiting on you to perform up to a certain standard. Let me bless you. <laughs> we love that. That's a beautiful thing. But if you add to it that, oh, yeah, by the way, Jesus didn't die for everybody. And some people, in fact, were created just for hell. Now you muddy the waters and you sort of strip away the assurance from the person that was excited at first. Now they're like, oh, snap. Am I one of the ones Jesus died for? And, you know, then that type of idea affects how you live out your Christian life. So what you try to do is affirm that you are really a Christian by bearing your fruit by being consistent with your walk and your holiness and your purity and making sure you're sharing your faith and you're doing a missions trips and you're doing good deeds. yeah, to help people, but, but ultimately because you want to know and show God, man, I'm serious about you. I want in, I want heaven. And, uh, you know, not that everyone lives in the fright and the intensity of that thought, but it certainly is a part of the lifestyle of the Calvinistic Christian. If your mind is trained that way, you can't help but to draw on those ideas as you're functioning in the world as a Christian by your influence from Calvinism, be it Baptistic or Presbyterian. It's in the mix of how how Calvinists process Christianity, and it can't help but to show its face at some point as they're doing life. So that's all I'm saying is over time as I was confronted By the scriptures afresh and realize, oh, you know, I thank God for my brother Calvin, but this is where he was wrong. And I began to see that, thank God, through the clarity that was brought to me over time. And I just wanted to share it with people so people can know Jesus did die for everyone. He did not create some for hell. So start the detox and begin to rid your mind, your thinking, your practices from that idea and rest in the reality that Jesus died for everyone without exception, he did not create people solely for hell to glorify his wrath. Now you can know that by this gift of faith that you lay hold of God's promises and through the sacraments as God delivers those promises through physical means that God is for you. And now your sanctification, your pursuit of purity, Um, As you lend your skills and your efforts to people around you, you're doing those things for the benefit of them as unto the Lord. You don't have to fear or fret that. Oh, my goodness. I hope that the quality of my works is up there so that I can show God how serious I am. And when I do a work that's not motivated by the right things, oh, my goodness. I hope it counts. You don't have to live in that fear. You can relax. You can thank God that he's already thought ahead of us and secured our assurance in what Jesus has accomplished for us. And you can get busy in the world moving into the lives of others as an expression of love and security that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's what it is. So really, that's what I was getting at with this song, Auto Salute. So as you work through it, hear the intentions behind it and you'll see those lyrics line up with what's being said here. So enough said about that real quick. So if you want to learn more about ancient Christianity as preserved through Lutheran thought on important topics like baptism, the Lord's supper justification by faith alone, the law and the gospel, and so many other beautiful confessions, make sure you check out cph.org. There you'll find so many Christ centered resources that will help you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and the hope of the gospel, you will find books, Bible studies, devotionals, and some of my favorites like The Spirituality of the Cross by Gene Veith, Has American Christianity Failed by Brian Wolfmuller, to name a few. You feel me? Make sure you go to cph.org or you can go to cph.org slash flame and you will see a list of books that I've curated that I've read personally that have helped me out in my walk. So make sure you go there, tap in, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord You fit. Let's get into the reading for today. We are continuing in the spirituality of the cross by Gene Veith Jr. And we are starting on page 37 with the section law and gospel. Let's get into it. When we stop speculating and look to what God himself has to say in his word, we find that our condition is more problematic than we might have thought. The Bible indeed requires moral perfection. It holds up sublime moral truths and explores God's radical hatred of every kind of wrongdoing. Not only does it demand perfection, it goes on to intensify what that perfection entails. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No hope for us in that regard. Not only external actions, but internal feelings and motives must be absolutely pure. And that's scary for a God that knows our thoughts and sees potential thoughts that we ain't even thought of. You feel me? Jesus, during his sermon on the mount, condemns not only adultery, but lust. Not only murder, but anger. Promising the same judgment for both. Matthew 5, 21 through 30. The law of God, as unfolded in scripture, must make the most upright moralist squirm. With sufficient willpower, we might control our behavior, though this is difficult enough to do consistently. But how can we control what is happening inside us, the anger, the lust, and self-regard that threaten, if what the Bible says is true, to undo the merit of all our good deeds? Such feelings are not even matters of the will. They arise even against our wills, seemingly out of control. And that's an important point because a lot of times you can make yourself think you are your temptations. And we give in because we say, well, I thought that thought. I had that feeling. So it must be me. Must be what I want. And in a sense, obviously, as we're Born into sin, shaped in iniquity, we know where that comes from. But it does not mean we have to give in. It does not mean we have to comply. Because oftentimes these things sort of come out of nowhere, right? You could be chilling, and then all of a sudden a crazy thought pop in your head. You don't have to say, "Well, that's me." Let me follow suit. You could say, "That's not me. I am in Christ. I am baptized." Let me think otherwise. Let me think the way that I'm supposed to act, the way that I'm supposed to. As one in Christ. Amen. <laughs> Let's keep going. The Bible demands that we be righteous, but then it tells us that all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Isaiah 64 6. We learn that we are fallen, complicit in the disobedience and curse of Adam and Eve. Genesis 3. In the New Testament, two short verses demolish each brand of human spirituality. There is no one righteous, not even one. So much for moralism. There is no one who understands. So much for speculation. There is no one who seeks God. So much for mysticism. Romans three ten through 11. A genuine confrontation with God's law destroys complacency, security, and every shred of self-righteousness. Guilt rises up in the gorge and fear at the horrible prospect of eternal punishment. The fires of hell reserved for those who disobey the awful righteousness of God. To be sure, one response would be to deny it all, to insist that I'm really a good person, that there is nothing wrong with my vices and that God's word isn't true at all. But the Bible speaks with an authority that is difficult to evade. And in one's heart of hearts, God's law rings true. Admitting one's failures and agreeing with one's condemnation is the first step of Lutheran spirituality. I love that. Just that honesty, that that honesty to say, you know what? You're right, God. I am broken on the inside. You know what? You're right, God. I do think the things that I should not. Agreeing with what God says. That's where we start, right? That's what confession is. You feel me? Let's keep going. For Lutherans, God's law has many uses to restrain evil in society and to serve as a guide for the Christian life. Ideas that will be discussed in the later chapters. But its spiritual use is to cut through our layers of self-deception so that we realize just how lost we really are. In biblical language, the law brings with it the conviction of sin, inspiring repentance. The language of spirituality is so often the language of power, of ecstasy, of supernatural bliss that the spiritual use of the law may well seem negative, depressing and unpleasant. And indeed, it is, (laughs) especially today when guilt is treated like a pathology and self-esteem is considered the definition of psychological health. The notion that spirituality begins with such a negative, self effacing, even despairing experience seems strange indeed. And that's so true because, especially right now, we're in the culture, we're talking a lot about mental health and counseling, and those things are helpful. But if we start to elevate the self, right? Self esteem, if we place ourselves as human at the center of all things, as if the world revolves around us as people rather than God and his plan and his story that he's telling with us in it, then we have another problem because we're going to keep looking to ourselves and looking within and we're not going to find what we need to justify ourselves. And that's just going to bring us down, bring us more somber and sad things to confront in our own selves and in the world. But the beautiful thing about Christianity is though we are at the face of Saying, man, God is right. I am broken. I am more prone to do what I think is right. I'm more prone to take advantage of others. Though we are crushed by that reality as we confess it, then we find hope in what God was actually getting at. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Let's keep going. But the law is the prelude to the gospel. Those broken by the law are convinced of their need and of their inability to save themselves then the message that god does it all comes as an astounding relief as good news which is what gospel means those who despair of achieving perfection by themselves can hear the message of the cross that they can find total free forgiveness through the work of jesus christ and cling to it desperately with every fiber of their being then they become open to god's life-changing gifts. When they do so, they are justified by faith. Christ's righteousness is counted as their own. The law's demands for moral perfection are thus satisfied, vicariously, but effectively. Christ's death counts for any punishment they deserve. They are utterly forgiven, released from fear, filled with gratitude for the sheer grace of God. Their illumination comes not from their own speculation, but from an encounter with the word of God. They are connected to Christ, not in a mere mystical sense, as if they ascended into the spiritual realm, but actually as Christ descends into their lives through word and sacrament. I love that. And this is why we have to keep a proper and correct understanding of the sacraments into Christian thought. An experience because it's, it's more of the sustenance that God is sending to us, right? And if we X that part off and just make it a symbol, we're missing out on all that God has for us. Let's keep going. <laughs> they are now in Christ who said, I am the way so much for moralism and the truth, so much for speculation and the life, so much for mysticism. John 14, six, as a result through Christ, The will, the intellect, and the spirit are all set free. Justification may seem to be an arcane theological term, but actually we use the concept all the time and it is central to our sense of ourselves and our well-being. To justify means to make something or someone out to be just or right or good. We are always trying to justify our opinions and what we do. To show that I am right. Our arguments and conflicts, whether between individuals, nations, or ideologies in online discussion, wars, or academic debates, generally involve two sides. Each claiming to be right, or good, or just. We want people to love us. So even when we have made a mistake or done something wrong, we often try to justify our actions to give an excuse or a reason that would be a justification for what we did. But our efforts to justify ourselves often lead us into rationalization or hypocrisy. We are so desperate to be considered a good person by ourselves and others that we change our moral standards, thus making them easier to follow. The outright evil we do can be justified in our minds by saying that it was for a good cause or that the person we hurt deserved it. That we are always trying to justify ourselves, of course, is evidence that we are not just or good or right. But we have to think we are on some level good that our existence is justified. Otherwise, we will despair. But we no longer have to justify ourselves because Christ justified us. Christ is just and good and right. And when we are united with him by faith, his justice and goodness and righteousness are ours. The justification of our lives and our existence no longer rest on ourselves. Rather, our justification is established outside of ourselves. Extra by God himself, the author of our lives and existence. We indeed will still fall into sins, but there is no need to justify them. The law makes that impossible, leading us instead to repentance and back to faith in Christ. God declares us just, even though we are not really, at least not yet, because by faith we are a part of Christ who actually is just. Furthermore, justification starts the process of making us just and good and right as this faith in Christ changes us. I love that. Faith in Christ does change us, right? We can, we can sense it within ourselves as our thoughts start to change, our desires start to move towards the things that will make God happy, the things that will bless others. That naturally happens because we're saved, because we're in Christ. That's a beautiful thing. In this process, which is only complete when we die, faith works through love. Galatians 5, 6, and bears the fruit of good works, John 15, 2 through 5, which the law guides us to do. Faith is another word in common use, but it means something more specific in the phrase justification by faith. Faith is not mere intellectual assent to certain beliefs or believing in something without proof nor is it any version of positive thinking or cosmic optimism. This is important because a lot of people in the world, in the mainstream world, and the Christian world alike, use the word faith. And a lot of people mean something different by it. But it's important to nail down what we mean by faith when we use the term. Let's read this definition again. Faith is another word in common use, but it means something more specific in the phrase justification by faith faith is not mere intellectual assent to certain beliefs or believing in something without proof so it's not blind faith i just i just believe nor is it any version of positive thinking just have faith just do it or cosmic optimism this would be the way of speculation nor is it as kierkegaard describes it a leap into what cannot be known or an encounter with God that once happened to you. Faith is not an experience. And this is important because a lot of people talk about faith that way, as if it's um, some experience that blew your mind, right? This would be the way of mysticism. Faith for Lutherans is not a decision to accept Christ. That's the way people talk about it in just generic American culture. Generic American evangelicalism As if faith is a decision To accept Christ I have faith Sort of putting the onus on us That's not where faith is As it is described by later evangelicals Making salvation a function of the will Would be moralism Dependent again upon what we do Our effort Willpower And action in all of their actual futility that's beautiful. We cannot put the focus on us. I have faith in Christ, meaning I chose Jesus. I mustered up enough strength to turn away from my old lifestyle and to pursue Jesus as if, you know, we are the heroes of the story. That's not what faith is. This is this is important to clarify. Lutherans consider faith itself to be a gift of God because that's what the Bible says. Created in the human heart as his action through the Holy Spirit, working through word and sacrament, to be explained later. Faith has to do with trust, with conscious dependence on Christ, the assurance that, in fact, He will do it all. For faith justifies and saves, not because it is a worthy work in itself, explains Philip Melanchthon, but only because it receives the promised mercy. That's what faith does. It passively receives it's not us actively doing anything actively believing actively doing the right thing none of that it's a passive reception that God gives us that we lay hold of amen (laughs) amen properly speaking it is Christ on a cross who saves faith is simply receiving and depending upon that sacrifice much of Lutheranism of course accords with other Christian theologies. Other evangelicals emphasize the experience of conversion. Lutherans also believe in conversion, but the law and the gospel, the dynamics of repentance and the acceptance of Christ are a part of the fabric of Lutheran spirituality, not just a one-time occurrence, but a pattern entered into again and again throughout one's life. Life. Beautiful. Let me read that again. Lutherans also believe in conversion, but the law and the gospel, the dynamics of repentance and the acceptance of Christ are a part of the fabric of Lutheran spirituality. Not just a one time occurrence, but a pattern entered into again and again throughout one's life. And this is so important because God is continuing to save us. We are continuing to hear his word and it and it shows us that we are falling short and that crushes us. And then by that's what the law does. And then the gospel brings us that forgiveness, that assurance and that peace that God has granted us the forgiveness of those sins. It's a constant cycle that we're going through of repenting, right, of turning and moving into Christ likeness. And as we are hearing God's word, it's functioning in both ways, law and gospel, law and gospel, lock that in your mind. And I love that Lutherans emphasize that salvation is not just this one-time conversion experience where you were living for the world, doing all kind of crazy stuff. And then you got into some bad accident or you almost got killed. And all of a sudden now you're living for Jesus. Amen to that. But salvation is, it's an ongoing process of us repenting and bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, right? It's, a, it's an ongoing process of us being crushed by the law, being brought back to life by the gospel. So we're always being saved, right? We are saved. We're continuing to be rescued and delivered, and we're continuing to grow and trust in what the Lord has accomplished for us all the way until he delivers us ultimately in glory, So let's not only think about salvation as a one-time definitive thing, amen to that, but it's also an ongoing reality whereby God is continuing to save us and to keep us close to himself and allow us to grow and uh, form more into what he had in mind with creating us in the first place. You feel me? (laughs) Let's keep going. The pattern of conversion is repeated every Sunday in the Confession and Absolution, and in the pastor's sermon, which is always a proclamation of law and gospel. Luther went even further. He said that we should be broken by the law and animated by the gospel every day. The old Adam in us should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. He says in the Catechism, explaining the significance of baptism whereupon a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Those who have been justified by Christ are changed from the inside because he is united with us. Good works flow unconsciously from the work of Christ. Christians, however, have a double nature. Their new spiritual nature from the indwelling Christ, Luther's new man, and the old sinful nature from Adam, the old Adam, these are in constant conflict so that the Christian's life is often one not of peace, but of turmoil. Is this not true? (laughs) Christians continually must fight temptation and will, despite all their efforts, fall into sin. This is the reality that we hate. This is why we pray, come Lord, quick, take us out of this sinful flesh so we can live and glorify you with all of our limbs, with our time, our creativity, our energy. That's what we want, God. Come soon, Jesus. (laughs) But Christ is also at work in the Christian's life. The disciplines of prayer, confession, and the ministry of word and sacrament enable the Christian to grow in holiness and good works, a process known as sanctification. There are times when the Christian particularly needs to hear the law, and there are times when the Christian needs to hear the gospel. Lutheran pastors in their spiritual care of their parishioners study how to distinguish and properly apply the law and the gospel. People who exhibit pride, willful sin, and self-righteousness need to hear the law. Otherwise, they will be oblivious to their need for Christ. Those, however, who are hurting, who are plagued by guilt, Hopelessness and despair need to hear the gospel. Thus, Lutheran spirituality, properly speaking, is not some static state of bliss, but a dynamic oscillation between lows and highs, knowledge of sin and knowledge of forgiveness, repentance and assurance. The gospel is to predominate, however, in the words of C.F.W. Walter, so that the Lutheran Christian lives in a state of grace and this is important to clarify because the lutheran claim is not come over here and experience nothing but bliss no the law is doing his work on us and we're being convicted by the law and the gospel is coming in to to, it swoops in to rescue and to restore to vivify to heal and to inspire us to move out into the world with good works. so i love that he also adds that cfw walther says that the gospel should predominate however And the Lutheran Christian and really we want all Christians to live in this state of grace. And that's why we can't afford to blur the lines between law and gospel where you're having people function as if they have to prove or demonstrate with such piety and excellent quality of good works in order to prove something to God. Because that is exhausting, exasperating, and it drains people and oftentimes sends them running away from Christianity. We don't need that. Finally, the paradoxes of Lutheranism. Thus, Lutherans tend to be highly conscious of sin without falling into moralism. They treasure theology and have a rich intellectual tradition while emphasizing the limits of speculative reason and stressing their utter dependence on the revelation of God's word they are skeptical of mystical emotionalism but they cultivate an intense inner piety and a worship centered in ineffable mysteries as will be seen the central paradox of christianity the incarnation that christ is both fully god and fully man that is echoed in the both ends real quick the both ends are how we are in christ and the old adam in us is dead which is true but it's also true that the old Adam finds a way to swim back to the surface and tries to rule and dominate. So there's a both. And it's true that we are seated in heavenly places right now, currently. And it's true that we are living in his cursed creation, both. And so there, those are themes that you realize in the scriptures that there's a an already and a not yet a both. And you feel me? Let's keep going. <laughs> is echoed in the both ends that resonate throughout Lutheranism from its sacramental theology to the role of the Christian in the secular world. In its theology and in its spirituality, Lutheranism is a system of paradoxes, of apparent contradictions that are actually two poles of truth and experience. That's important. Apparent contradictions, things that appear to be contradictory, but are actually the two poles of truth and experience well said beautiful the christian according to luther is it's a latin phrase so here we go <laughs> simul justus et Picata. at the same time righteous and sinner that's what that means simultaneously a sinner and a saint you feel me both at the same time that's who we are in christ we're both sinner and saint at the same time when i'm at my best i'm still a sinner when i'm in my worst i'm still a saint That's the reality. That's another one of those both ends. The Christian is totally free, yet a slave in Christian service to everyone. Such paradoxes are not just formulas of doctrine, but as will be seen, polarities that comprehend the complexities of life. When I discovered the radical depths of the gospel, I found the impulses that variously made me a moralist, a speculator and a mystic all resolved. Or rather, put in tension with each other and swallowed up in the cross. The cross alone is our theology. This is how Luther summed up his teaching. The theme of the cross in Luther's theology has two different but closely related senses. The Son of God came to us and saved us not by an act of glory, but in the self abnegation, weakness, and suffering of the cross. Similarly, Our salvation comes not by glorifying ourselves, by achieving some moral or spiritual merit, but by facing up to our failures and clinging instead to Christ and his cross. The distinction between glory, God's and ours, and cross, God's and ours, has meaning. However, only because Christ's cross had and has a specific effect on the cross, the second person of the Trinity somehow bore the iniquity of us all, along with our griefs and our sorrows. Isaiah 53, 4-6 Indeed, on the cross, the maker of the universe made something else. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. On the cross, sin and the results of sin, our iniquities, our griefs, our sorrows are atoned for. And then Jesus rises from the dead. Thus, the cross redeems us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who was hanged on a tree. Galatians 3.13 Redemption means being bought back. The Greek word was used in reference to paying a price in order to liberate a slave or a hostage. To be redeemed means to be restored to God and set free. This happens when we are connected to Christ and his cross by faith through his word and sacrament. We are sinners, but we have been redeemed. So we are also saints. The cross also redeems the entire creation. Romans eight nineteen. Through 22, the world is horribly broken, but it too is redeemed. Our work and our relationships and the societies we belong to are redeemed. Our ordinary life is redeemed. Physical existence is redeemed. This is the spirituality of the cross. Selah. Beautiful. This both and this already and not yet how God has redeemed, but we are still in this broken world. The world is redeemed, but yet it is still suffering, longing for Jesus's return. So as we pray for Jesus's return, my hope is that we can rest in the work that Jesus accomplished for us, that we can um, you know, constantly remain close to God's word and his sacraments, to the body of believers as we encourage one another in these truths, so that we really hold each other down and reinforce these beautiful teachings from the scriptures to one another. So that as we're dealing with the complexities of this world, um, that we have that sense of um camaraderie, you know what I mean? And that's important as we walk through this life. But anyway, man, it was fun going through this portion of reading Um, and we're going to continue to talk about justification by faith. We got a few more songs left on a project extra note. So y'all stay locked in again. Tap in to other episodes so you can follow along and see God's sweetness as it's preserved through Lutheran thought that's my time y'all already know this your boy flame aka Saint Lou and remember God does not need our good works but our neighbor does (laughs) you